Hey folks, Aunt Waveland is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Aunt Waveland is also presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma. We are here to talk Cubs, which in the current environment means the last week of the regular season. It's it's funny, you know, we I sort of use the podcast as a checkpoint, a touchstone for like, oh, okay, yeah, it's this, it's this amount of time left. It's that amount of time left. And uh, what would I be, what would I be doing in an alternate universe uh, where it was like the last, you know, seven years with the exception maybe of 2019. And um, it's definitely weird to process this being the last week of a season that for all intents and purposes was over at a competitive level three months ago. Um, and I think, I guess one thing I want to say, and I'd be curious to bounce this off you before we get into, you know, various topics for the, for today, if you had told me, well, you could have told me actually back in spring training, Hey, second half of the season, the Cubs are going to suck. What is that going to look like in terms of, you know, coverage? How like, Oh my gosh, that's going to be such an awful grind. And maybe it's because it's, only the first time that this has happened in seven years, I haven't really felt that. I actually have th- found it to be a pretty, from like an interest level, a coverage standpoint of what topics I can get into, I have found it to be a pretty okay few months. Like I've still found myself very interested in what's going on with the Cubs. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I think uh, since the Darvish trade, I've been kind of preparing myself for a season where they don't make the playoffs. Uh, and then, you know, I think May kind of uh, gave us some hope like, oh, maybe this team is more resilient than we thought and they're going to make a run. Uh, but once, you know, once the losing streak happened, once the sell off was clear, I-, I think my focus was, oh, man, what are we going to do post trade deadline? Like it's going to be there's going to be some aftermath that we can break down, but this seems going to be bad and uninteresting. Uh, I would say like the August uh, bump that they had. They didn't they have a winning August or or a decent August. Uh, uh, I don't know about a winning August, but they did have this the stretch where they were. Yeah, they won. Yeah, probably a not a winning August because it's basically like losing streak, decent uh, stretch of winning, lo- extended losing streak uh, type situation, or you know uh, lose a chunk of losing, I should say. Uh, so so probably not a winning month, but. Uh, it's been more interesting. There's been stretches of of play that have made it more interesting. So you can kind of combine the overarching like what's what what the deadline met meant to what the future holds, while also saying it almost felt like there was going to be nothing you could cling to and say like what about this guy for the future? And there's a few pieces. It's actually been a little bit different, I guess, than than we thought, right? Like originally it would be like, well, we can kind of do the Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson thing. Uh, and that didn't hold much much interest early on in those starts, and, and it's actually randos like Frank Schwindel and and uh, and Patrick Wisdom that that have uh, generated some interest. So I, I th- that's you know that's been a little bit uh, surprising, but yeah, I, I had a similar feeling like, oh man, what are we gonna do in August and September? This is gonna be a, some rough months, and they have been as far as watching the actual play on the field, but but you know there there have been some interesting storylines locally. Yeah, and maybe that's how it. Maybe it's always you know, part of it's like 
the gig and also the fandom in me is like, I, I can, I can find stuff to get into. And I think now because of the level to which I'm interested in the roster building process that the Cubs are going through that, that really did start at the deadline. And then in the evaluation of some of these guys in the second half of the season, I think, um, I I wonder if that will carry through, you know, through a postseason that the Cubs aren't involved in, through a chunk of the offseason that's going to be, I suspect, very slow pre-CBA. You know, we'll we'll I'll I'll use a, a future podcast episode to do that to do that checkpoint. But uh, like you said, a lot of what has been interesting about the Cubs the last few months have been the, some of these pop-up guys that have made just for. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's a different kind of story that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about in a long time. And part of that's been a product of how competitive the Cubs have been, how set the roster has been for such a long time. And I think that um, that in turn sets up uh, some interesting things to get into today. All right, so obviously Cubs president Chad Hoyer has a lot of things to talk about here at the end of the season. And while there is, I think some level of interest in things like what happens with David Ross, the GM search, all those kinds of things. Like I'm interested in those at some level, but I think justifiably the overwhelming focus of the conversations with, with Jed and then the reaction to it is all about, like I said, roster building. It's, it's what's going to happen this off season with a team that, has barely 70 million on the books for next year, even accounting for arbitration raises. And, you know, the, even if they get nowhere close to the luxury tax level next year, which they won't, they have just a, a crap load of money that they could add. And so it's, it's right for there to be significant interest in what the Cubs are going to do in the off season. And I thought, um, <laughs> I thought Hoyer's primary comments about how the Cubs were going to proceed did a, a good job of conveying the reality of the situation while also saying nothing at all. And that is the art of doing that job at this moment in time. So I guess starting there, Cubs are going to be really active, Sahadev. They're going to be really active. What does that mean? They're and they're, but they're going to be intelligent. Okay. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> just generally speaking, you've written about this. So folks definitely go read what Sahadev's done the last few days at the athletic, but, I'm just curious, your reaction to to sort of that combination way of framing what's coming for the Cubs this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good way of saying, listen, we they have money to spend, right? They have money to spend, but they're going to be smart about how they spend their money. I think they will spend their money. People are going to want to... Uh, they have opportunities, right? We discussed this last week about how you're kind of excited about this. You know, you you know, obviously you prefer a contending team that that has a chance to win the World Series, but having these opportunities to play, like giving other players uh, or uh, free agents the opportunity to play, that that's an enticing thing for them. A guaranteed role is something that uh, certain players want, uh, rather than we will give you the opportunity to compete for this role. We th There's going to be a couple spots, whether it's uh, position players or pitchers, primarily starting pitchers, where they can say, you know, as long as you're healthy, you're going to, we're giving you 30 starts. We're going to give you that opportunity uh, to, to start here. Whether we trade you at the deadline or not depends on how the team's record, but you have this 
uh, X many starts with the Chicago Cubs, and there, there's no way that you're going to be knocked out of the rotation outside of just absolutely dreadful performance or or injury, right? So that's something they haven't really had the opportunity to do much outside of shopping at the very top of free agency. And now you can go with these one or two year deal guys, uh, and and not and not have to think, uh, not have to. When when he talk, when he says intelligently, I think it's basically a sign that these these monster deals are just not happening as much in baseball, and that's uh, that's a sign that that's something that Jed Hoyer I think is going to stick with with for the Cubs as well. Does that mean they'll never sign a five six seven year deal again? You know, I don't know. Like when I start pushing to seven, six or seven years, I don't know. Like I don't know what baseball holds, like what the CBA is going to look like, and and how things change. Uh, they will sign long term deals again. They're not happening this year unless something weird happens in the sense that nobody offers Carlos Correa a monster deal, and suddenly he's willing to sign for like four at thirty. You know. 30 million a year, right? Like, that's insane. That That's not going to happen. I mean, Brett's face right now is stop saying <laughs> things like that because it's not realistic. And that's why I'm just saying, like, it's got to be something really weird that we just don't expect. Uh, who else would I, I can't imagine there's another player even that they'd give four years to unless it's for a lower AV than expected. But the whole my whole thing is when you hear intelligent, it's years you get yourself locked into too many years nowadays, and and it really hurts. The Jason Hayward, like I don't like ripping Jason Hayward because he's a good dude and he does a lot for the community. He's a great leader in the clubhouse, but the bottom line is he's not worth that deal as far as production on the field. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna argue against that, right? So that's what that ultimately is what they're trying to avoid. There's never going to be a deal like that made by Jed Hoyer again. He's not handing out. Uh, big year contracts. Uh, uh, he's not handing out big year contracts anymore. Not in a, uh, not to someone that isn't just a guaranteed production of of a of a high caliber. Right? Jason Hayward had has very specific traits that that he had that they paid for, and you just they're just not going to do that anymore. It's it's going to be the no doubt guy like John Lester. It's going to be the no doubt guy like the uh, Dodgers did with Mookie Betts, right? They they it has to be a specific type of of player that you give these types of deals to, and and that's I think what he means by intelligent. Well, and to add to that, before we circle back to some of the specific Cubs roster stuff, I think about this a lot. I think about how. It's easy to say in theory, uh, you know, the Cubs are never going to give out another six or seven or eight year deal, not under Jed Hoyer. And I agree with you. I think that's very likely to be the case. But what's what does get interesting is when the rubber meets the road and you have a team that is clearly a World Series contender. It's a, just a stack team, but you have this one gaping spot and you have this one super elite free agent who because of the nature of his market is literally not going to sign anything shy of a, you know, one of these six, seven, eight year deals. And so your only opportunity to bring in that free agent is if you sort of break your own rule and do this. And I, I start to think about that. And then I remind myself, well, it doesn't really matter because the Cubs aren't even close to being in that position right now. They aren't even close to a spot where there, you could even make an argument that adding Carlos Correa or whoever is going to be the difference between it being a 
team that looks like a clear division winner, clear postseason deep run type team, as opposed to a team that might compete for a bottom 10 record. Like there, there's just, there is no player in baseball who is that difference. So it kind of doesn't even matter to have the, the kind of nuanced conversation I'm imagining and that I suspect you would agree with me. Yeah. I'll just say that they would, they would do that if they were like, it's not like they look back and regret the John Lester deal. Even if the back couple years, he wasn't worth it. They don't like Jed Hoyer isn't like averse to doing that type of deal again he will he, he'll he do that it's the timing for that I, I use Jason Hayward as an example because that was a very specific skill set that they paid for and they I think they made it I think they realized they're like you can't do that you can't pay an exorbitant amount for these skill sets as much as as nice as it was and as important as it was to fill that hole you needed to find someone else to do that uh, at a, on a shorter term deal and and just you needed to be more creative to fill that skill set there are other skill sets that you will pay for john lester being the front of the rotation guy uh for that moment in time made way too much sense right that was just the perfect fit for what they needed front of the rotation guy playoff experience guy that'll change the help change the clubhouse uh culture guy that brings the clubhouse together that makes sure uh that the pitchers and and uh, can look up to him and and learn from him those are all like whether it's on the field or off the field he was the right fit at the right time right he completely changed everything for that team which is a reason why i think some people some uh teammates and former teammates were perplexed that he wasn't the guy brought back uh why he wasn't brought back uh, th- for this season to kind of do his you know last hurrah with the cubs but that's a we we talked about that already but uh yeah, they they will do deals like that again when it makes sense. I I was just this the intelligent part was they I think they went a little bit above and beyond to go get Jason Hayward and they look back on that it's like yeah, that wasn't uh as desperate as we were to fill those specific needs. It just wasn't the right uh contract to hand out in that situation. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. A factor in that too that I think will help steer us into what we want to talk about next is Hayward was 26. That was a big factor in it too. You, I yeah. think it, at especially at that time um, in the baseball world, it, it was increasingly easy to talk yourself into very long commitments for much younger players um, because the game was just perpetually moving younger. Um, That was sort of the front end of almost all post age 30 free agents becoming radioactive to teams. And, and we're like deep in the throes of that now. And so I think, you know, when I hear spending intelligently, there's two sides to that, right? There's, there's what we've talked about to this point, which is, got to be more thoughtful about those super long contracts what they really do for you now what they're really going to do to you in four or five six years but there's a flip side to that it's 
Well, what are some of the advantages to having a lot of money available to spend that you want to keep short term? And you got to believe it's going to be in that post age 30 market. Like that there's going to be a lot of opportunities on shorter term guys. And I mentioned that not because that's sort of going to be the exclusive province of where the Cubs focus as they're filling out the roster for next year, because we also talk about the upside guys, you know, that might be a lot younger, but that are for whatever reason, wanting to rebuild their, their value. They're coming off an injury. They're coming off underperformance, whatever. You're still going to explore those as well. It's just, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that, you know, it's, it's not hard to imagine that there are going to be these 34, 35, 36-year-old guys who are only going to get short-term deals, who are only going to get short-term high AAV deals, and that's where the Cubs want to play anyway? Okay, well, then that could be really interesting. So I guess to that end, let's talk a little bit about the positional side of the roster. Before we get to – sorry, I – I just want to touch on no, that I really trans- quickly, Brett. I already transitioned. Uh, I already said yeah, all the transition I'm words. I'm reversing the transition, and you're going to have to say those words again. Just because I have a question for you in the, I'll that post that the, the, the 35, 36-year-old, you think that that makes sense this winter for one of those guys to want to sign here with the Cubs? Well, I yeah, I understand the question. So what, what you're implying is those guys, especially in the twilight of their careers yeah they're looking for very specific opportunities typically i could see it next offseason i just this offseason makes me wonder if those type of guys are saying you know what i'm gonna go sign with the dodgers or the brewers or you know whoever is closer to winning the yankees you know you're right but not all those teams are gonna have the same needs they're not opportunity for them yeah there is money i mean money is a factor sure sure um, sure so I think okay. absent that context, of course you're right. Like I get that I'm just this I'm completely random. You know, Justin Turner isn't like, you know who I really want to play for next year is the Cubs. That's <laughs> that's who I want to, to sign with. Get it, agree with it completely. But there are only 30 teams. Only two of them play in Chicago, which is a pretty nice place to play, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so if your market hasn't developed to the point where you get to choose like, oh, I, of course I want to play Fair with the enough. Giants. I'd rather play with the Giants. Yeah. You may not have that ability. Okay. I think I was thinking guys like Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, who are not going to sign with the Cubs. Like I, some people were no. suggesting them to me and I was just like, why would they want to play for the Cubs? Like they, there's no reason for them to want to come here that they're, they're likely at the very end years of their careers. They want guaranteed contenders that have a real shot, not guy, not teams that are like, hey, if everything clicks, maybe we can contend for a division title. Uh, oh, yes. So, completely agree. OK, I view okay. Although those guys are in the age range I'm talking about, uh, they would not be in the potentially undervalued okay. chunk that Got I'm it. talking about. Fair, fair. Um, indeed, I mean, I mean, I, we don't we don't have to to sidetrack totally. And I, I could see each of those two running into some rough situations depending on what those contracts look like. And man, you better be a team if you are signing one of those two. And Kershaw's going to resign with the Dodgers. Let's let's not. Right pretend otherwise but if you're signing one of those two men you better be a team that is like balling out for the next two years because otherwise it's just totally fruitless to sign those guys so yes totally agree um so okay now i had that beautiful transition <laughs> that is just totally buried that screwed it up so you. now i'm gonna do i'm now gonna do the clunkiest most ham-fisted transition because you buried my good one 
let's talk about Cubs position players now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a part of this conversation, we've, we have started laying a lot of the groundwork on the pitching side of things. And I think that's right to be a, a substantial focus because the Cubs have at least three huge openings in the rotation. Every year there are intriguing short-term arms. This this year's no exception. You've mentioned a ton of them. We've mentioned a ton of them in podcast. Mooney just mentioned a ton of them in his recent write-up as well. Love that pool. But we'll we'll have that conversation. We'll we'll start diving deeper on that in later episodes. Um, but for today, something we haven't, I don't think, mentioned maybe specifically enough is and this is something that Jed Hoyer got into in his comments, is a lot of that same mentality of like shorter-term opportunity um, is going to be there on the positional side. And I think probably we've not talked about it as much because uh, both because the needs on the pitching side were so glaring and so obvious and because we had these interesting storylines on the positional side. Like, you're not going to, right now, you're not going to be like, okay, who are the really interesting short-term high AAV first baseman that the Cubs could go after? Like, you're just not going to, that conversation makes no sense. And maybe even, maybe specifically at first base, because I think we're on the same page that of these older pop-up interesting guys the Cubs have, Schwindel is probably the one who is the closest to being in a place not just because of the level of his productivity, but how he's achieving his productivity. He's probably the one guy that you're like, you know, I actually think I would be bothered if the Cubs supplanted him this offseason. Like, if the Cubs supplant Patrick Wisdom as a you know starter going into next year, that doesn't bother me. You know, and in fact, I don't think they should be thinking of him that way. And, and ditto Rafael Ortega, even in a platoon I don't know. It wouldn't bother me if the Cubs were like, actually, there's this great opportunity in center field that came up that we can get. You know, Starling Marte is only going to get a two-year deal, and we're, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna do it. It wouldn't bother me. And so, you start thinking about, okay, well, how many positions are like that for the Cubs? You know, how many spots are where it's like, yeah, actually, they they could do one of these opportunities. And I think um, I want to say you mentioned this recently as well that like you're essentially looking at Wilson Contreras at catcher if he's still around. Nick Madrigal is pretty much going to be given a full runway at second base. And that might be it. That that actually might be it in terms of spots that are locked down where the Cubs can't sell to the market the idea that, well, this job is wide open. You could have it. Um, and so are we being... T- What's tough is there's a balance there when you say there's only two spots locked down, but we know there's a bunch of other guys who are going to be on the roster. Fighting for, like yeah. that's, it, maybe, maybe Nico Horner is the best example of that. And maybe we talk about him and his future as sort of a, a way to get into this combo. Sure. I mean, you can sell the everyday job at shortstop, right? You can. You can say you're our, you're going to be our starter for 140 games and we're going to, but we have a guy that can, we can rest you for, for those other 22 and and uh, we're gonna play Nico uh, another sixty at at second base because Madrigal is gonna be our DH for those sixty games and sit some uh, you know or or sit another ten or dozen of that and then uh, Nico's gonna play center as well or left or wherever there's a hole right so you have so you can uh, so you can sell it that way or you can find a shortstop that's like. You know, he's been who may believe he deserves more playing time. It's like, okay, we can give you 
80 starts. We can give you 60 starts. We we think you can start more than you have uh, in your career, and, and we can give you that many starts, and Nico starts the rest of them, right? Or like you can just get a pure backup shortstop, and Nico's going to be the guy you go with for the majority of those starts. So that's one way you can kind of sell playing time, right? It's not just... Uh, saying like you're you, you can go for different levels of players at I'm just using shortstop as a as a as a example because I think that is a spot where a lot of people seem to believe that Nico whether it's uh, first of all Nico doesn't stay healthy like that's very obvious I, I don't think there's I I don't think you can go into next season and say I'm confident in Nico Horner but I'm not confident in Frank Schwindel I get the age difference. I get the prospect. Uh, I get the difference in prospect status. I get all that. But Frank Schwindel has as much production. Like, how many more at bats, career at bats does? I mean, uh, Cubs at bats do they? Does he have? Like, how? Like, is they're it probably bats? pretty. Yeah, they're probably pretty close. Yeah, so they're pretty close there. Uh, obviously, much more significant production from uh, from Schwindel, right? But that's. I don't know. We've talked about this uh, ad nauseum. Like, we don't know if that's for real or what. We just want to find out, right? Uh, I think that's your point of, like, you'd be frustrated if he was, like, somehow shoved to the side. Like, whether it's first base or DH, he needs to get some regular time uh, next year. It, it, at, at the very least, at the start of the season, give him another month or two and see see how he's how he looks and if he can carry this over. Uh, but you can't you can't just guarantee Nico Horner – any job playing time should he be uh should he be playing regularly and and from our producer uh Derek Nico 378 played appearances Frank Schwindel 231 so yeah i mean that's a that what? would by the way that would blow people's minds like that would just <laughs> absolutely if you until you're having this conversation it just would never cross your mind that oh yeah he's they're probably getting pretty close like that just would blow people's minds Right. I mean, because it's spread out over three injury riddled years for Nico, right? Uh, or pandemic shortened injury, uh, bad production, whatever you want to call it. It's all, it's been a little mix of mix of all of it. Uh, ultimately, you can't you can't pen him in into any spot. Uh, you're not giving obviously Madrigal uh, muddies up the waters at second. Otherwise, I'd be fine if you just said Nico's your everyday second baseman. Sure. But you have to look for more upside at shortstop. And you just kind of want to – I kind of want to see how Nico does uh, in this role too. Like I think it's kind of interesting. Can he handle shortstop, second base, and center field? And how valuable is that? And then and then can he lock down one of those positions over the next couple of years? Right? you got to figure out what Madrigal is. you got to figure out what Nico is. And that's kind of what next year can be. And, and you just have to fill in the pieces around that. But you can I, – I, I don't think – when you say um, – Obviously, there's other players there fighting for playing time. There's no one that you can – at least one or two guys you can sign and say, you you have this position. That's yours, right? There's at least one or two spots – I mean, one or two free agents, regardless of spot. Even if it's first base, even if it is, just put – then Schwindel's your DH, right? It, I, I don't think there's a first baseman out there that that makes any sense to do with, uh, but – but, you know, it, it could – I'm just uh, throwing out that example. There's that, there's not a single position outside of catcher unless you're – unless the negotiations for an extension with Wilson just go completely sideways. And then and then there's a different discussion that we may end up having over the winter. Yeah, I think that's uh, 
that is about the size of it as this discussion relates to Nico Horner as being maybe the perfect example of a guy who you enter into this offseason acknowledging is going to be part of this team, but just has zero impact on what you do this offseason or what, you know, what opportunities you make available to yourself. And I think um, you could probably speak pretty similarly about Ian Happ in the outfield, uh, which much like with Nico Horner, it's not a shot at Ian Happ. You know, in some ways it's a credit to his ability to, he can play multiple spots in the outfield. Like he's just not going to preclude you from doing anything. And I think similar to Nico Horner, you, you, you look at the body of work uh, with with Nico, it's it's a question of health and then contact quality. I, I still have, you know, we just haven't had enough plate appearances to really evaluate that. Um, and obviously with Ian Happ, it's the ability to to, to consistently produce. Um, I don't agree, by the way, that the people who are like, oh, he only, you know, hits when it doesn't matter. He's the Cubs have been in playoff contention Every single game he's been up until this year. Stop it with that. Stop yeah, it. Yeah, it's not true. Um, <laughs> so I think, but with him, it is a question of, you know, can he, he doesn't have to perform at the level he's been at the last month and a half, which is like MVP level crushing it. It's just a, a question of, you know, are you going to have these spurts that because of his low contact style, his sees a lot of pitches, like, maybe you are going to have long streaks where he's not productive and you have to decide what, if you can deal with that. That's just, that's a lot of baseball players. I mean, that's oh, a lot sure. of yeah, don't, good don't baseball get me wrong. players. I want, yeah. I want to say, cause I, it bothers me too. And people are like, ah, it's, he's got to be more consistent. Almost no player is consistent. That's not what yeah. the sport is. I think with him, it's, it's more a, it's, it's a, fairer reflection of what his offensive skill set is like that i right. think he may be more you know because he doesn't have that high contact to sort of raise the baseline of like yeah he's gonna get hits every now and again uh and because he sees so many pitches like you're just gonna have a lot of strikeouts and because he's still hitting for power you can have a lot of whiff like i just think his style is is maybe a little bit more inclined towards streakiness than your your typical hitter but but i could be inventing that because look at you know, Anthony Rizzo was famously streaky with the Cubs and he didn't have precisely the same style at the plate. So I don't know. Right, right. No, and I, I remember early on in his career I got a Jason Kipnis comp for for uh Ian Happ. Obviously he doesn't play second base anymore, but I think I remember looking at Jason Kipnis's numbers, uh and and he, even at his best, was notoriously streaky. Like he was an all-star, right? Year in and year out. I think he'd be on the periphery of MVP talk in certain years. And he was just up and down, up and down. Cleveland fans would lose their minds sometimes like, oh, this guy's cooked. And then somehow at the end of the season, he's like borderline MVP talk. But I'm not saying Ian Happ will end up that way. Like the highs were just so high with with Kipnis that that uh and there were enough of them that he could he could pull it off. But the there are a lot of very valuable players that are just super streaky that are you'd prefer that he had more value defensively in that sense uh he takes his walks so that's that's a benefit but you're right the lack of contact in general is going to make those uh, uh down downturns kind of ugly and, and frustrating which is the same thing with people need to keep in mind for Patrick Wisdom that's why i think both of us agree that you you lean more Schwindel over Wisdom Schwindel's what like a i think he's been striking out a little bit more and he's still like at 
17 or 18 percent strikeout rate so uh yeah you just you're always going to lean to the hard contact guy over the power guy that whiffs a lot right uh but uh, then then you I mean, we could. This could be a totally separate debate because then you bring in like a Nico Horner guy who's a contact guy, but it's like, well, what 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 does this contact do for you? And and can he keep that high batting average? And how valuable is it if he's not uh, spraying some doubles into the gaps consistently and knocking the ball over the wall? Which when was the last time he hit a home run? By the way, Patrick Wisdom was it two? Th- no, no, no. Sorry, Nico. I'm just talking oh, about like uh, all different have types of this. plays. But yeah, it, he doesn't have one this year. It's 2019, right? He didn't hit one Did in he not 2020 hit one last year. I don't think so. It's just yeah, been I know a really long. I know time. he has been skunked this year. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. With him, I don't know. We again, it's a whole conversation we could get yeah. into. Yeah. But <laughs> even dating back to his wrist injury this year, so before the hamstring injury, there was the wrist injury. Since he returned from that, he. I mean, he was he was the guy he showed last year, which was ton of contact, none of it particularly useful. And, you know, there's there's a lot that you want to like about what Nico Horner could be offensively with a little more elevation, a little more line drive, um, because he does get the barrel to the ball. And that is a skill that's a repeatable skill that not everybody has. So you are going to dink and dunk your way into more hits. Um, than the the average batter, but uh, doesn't take a ton of walks. And if there's not really any power there, you're you're almost talking about like a less effective version of Nick Madrigal. And you know, contact right. contact in isolation is not necessarily valuable. Ask the Angels with David Fletcher what right. how that plays. If you're or only just remember what contact. it was like to watch uh, Albert Elmora. Oh sure. Um, right. So. It's interesting the way we, I think we inadvertently ended up structuring this discussion like a top-down of positional players and spots where it's like Wilson Contreras as a player on the roster, definitely locked in. As a spot in the lineup, definitely locked in. And you sort of work your way down from that and you're like, you know, Nick Madrigal, probably, you know, similar. Uh, Nico Horner and Ian Happ sort of uh, it's similar in terms of they're definitely going to be around. They're definitely going to be contributing maybe spread around where they're playing, but it doesn't really affect what you do planning wise. Maybe next year you got Frank Schwindel. Like you said, it doesn't have to be locked into first base because we're likely going to get the DH next year. And then you start talking about those guys like a uh, uh, wisdom Ortega, David Bodie, I think would go into this category as well of guys who uh, Jason Hayward maybe is in this range where it's like, yeah, probably going to be on the team next year. Really doesn't lock you into anything in terms of a spot of what's available. It's they're they're around. They'll coordinate with whatever we do this off season is I think how the Cubs should be viewing that conversation. Um, and however you slice that, it leaves you where we started this conversation with just a whole lot of spots, a whole lot of playing time and a whole lot of opportunity to tell free agents who are maybe aren't able to be, as choosy about where they're going to go. They want to get paid. They'd like to be on a good team. They'd like to at least be able to convince themselves that it's, it's a team that has a chance to compete and they wouldn't hate playing in Chicago. You know, like I think that does leave a pretty ample pool of interesting players to pull from. Maybe it won't be quite as, maybe it won't be quite as compelling as the starting pitching is in terms of the upside that you could potentially ring out of some of these names that we've talked about. But you know, 
depth positional pool is always deeper. Like I just I think it's going to be almost equally fun to dig into that in the coming weeks and months about like okay, you know, that upper tier of the shortstop class probably going to be unavailable to the Cubs for a variety of reasons. But that means that there's that next tier of guys. And that means that there are guys, you know, you you really intrigued me when you started talking about shortstop specifically, Sahadev, about how some guys, it's like, well, he just hasn't quite had the opportunity. Or, oh, you know, you can sell him as a pure backup. And, you know, I, I could imagine a world where there are a, a, some really interesting guys out there that either have been squeezed out of shortstop positionally and we're not thinking about them, you know, as potential shortstops or and I know this, I'm going to get some groans from some people, but like <laughs> there are going to be some like really interesting uh, minor league free agent types that have never really gotten a shot that the Cubs might be able to, to even if you're, you're not signing a guy and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to bring you straight from AAA and this other organization to be our starting shortstop every day. No, but you can sell them on opportunity. They're like, hey, right. how many other teams are going to have a wide open spot like this, much like the Cubs did with some of these other guys? So that that's how they me got too. Hermosillo, right? Who was a yeah a coveted minor league free agent. Everybody that's a thing. My, there's minor league free agents, and and Hermosillo uh, was someone that they targeted early because it looked like there was going to be a lot of outfield playing time. Didn't work out exactly as he hoped, but that's, I mean, I think that's kind of where your thought process is on that specific point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, I would hope they go a little bit more uh, aggressive with shortstop. I think that's. A- well, I think with shortstop specifically, what what's probably going to happen because they have Nico available is it wouldn't surprise me if they do try to target one of those premium minor league free agent types early sell the opportunity, get that guy early. And then you just see what, excuse me, you see what happens in the market, right? And then you're in a position, January, February rolls around and Marcus Simeon can't find a deal again or whatever. Then you're like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Um, And maybe that's how a lot of the positional pursuits will play out for the Cubs. I I tend to think they're going to be more aggressive on the starting pitching side with these, um, you know, some of these guys who everyone knows aren't going to get super long-term deals. Right. And that are going to sign like short-term high AAV type contracts. I think we're going to see the Cubs be pretty aggressive on that front. But like I said, conversation for another day. Anything else you want to add on this uh, sort of positional menagerie? I think I'm good. Okay, I'm good. I think well, we covered it a lot, <laughs> folks. There are still six games left. Cubs uh, they go to Pittsburgh for three, and then three in St. Louis. Um, by that time, it's likely that the Cardinals will have sewn up wildcard two. So we won't even have that to like, I don't know, to, to, to cheer around. So I'm just saying it's pure reverse standings time. Just saying. <laughs> Cubs fans, I know you hate to, you don't want to see the Cubs lose, but I'm just saying you can lock in that number seven pick. Just, just, just lose. Just lose, baby. It's a little reverse Al Davis situation. Just lose, baby. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Ant Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. That is Sahadev Sharma. You can get his stuff at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can get mine at Bleacher Nation. And we will be back at you uh, later this week. Uh, I don't want to say live from Pittsburgh, but I assume that's Mooney. Mooney, you noticed, folks, was not with us today. He was having some airport issues, which I'm guessing was related to travel to Pittsburgh for the series. So, so we will get a little live from Pittsburgh situation uh, later if... 
assuming Mooney can join us. So uh, thank you. Rate, review, subscribe. Get us wherever you get your podcasts. We always appreciate it. Uh, you know, and holler at us if you've got any good questions or comments, and we'll get into it in the weeks ahead. Thanks. Take care.